Good morning, everyone. Happy Freedom Day. Turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Freedom Day. Right on. So good to have you all today, whether you're online or in person. You are welcomed in this place. Ooh, we get it again. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's give it up for our tech team. They are so amazing, and they're faithfully here every week. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome, awesome, awesome. We're in a series called Flip the Script, subtitled, When God Shows Up, Everything Changes. And today we are actually going to be uh, talking about fixing our gaze. And I am so excited about this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 6 and 7. You can follow along on the notes. If you have our app, you can fill in the notes there. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and 7. But I want to start with a question today. How many of you have been watching the Olympic trials? Anyone been watching the Olympians? I tell you what, I am stunned at the athletes that we have. Do any of you ever watch these athletes and just go... In my best day, I could never do that. Anyone else think that? Uh, I, I think that every time I watch them, every time I see those runners do the hurdles, I just think I would crash so bad. I would, this would not be a good thing, or the sprints, or, or whatever. I'm just like, these people are at a whole different level. They're, they're superhuman, as a matter of fact, go back with me to uh, October 20th, 1968, in Mexico City. The time is 7 o'clock at night, and the fans and the athletes are still warm and charged from the day's events and all the celebration, and everyone's getting ready to leave, and they're packing up all their belongings and getting ready to leave the Olympic Stadium. And as they're ready to leave, they notice outside, they hear sirens and they see lights flashing. And they notice that this entourage of emergency vehicles is coming towards the Olympic Stadium. And as it arrives and gets closer, they recognize that they're actually surrounding an individual who's hobbling down the pathway to the Olympic Stadium. And as everyone is, has their belongings in their hand and some are even departing toward the exits, uh, the announcer comes over the loudspeaker and he says, please remain in the stadium and let's welcome the final marathoner, Stephen John Aquari from Tanzania. And everyone's like, what, what do you mean? The, the marathon ended hours ago. All of the... Awards have already been given. All the celebration has been done. The last runner has already come in. And yet, here was John Stephen Aquari hobbling into the stadium. And then people looked at him and they recognized why he was hobbling. He was actually bloodied and bruised. He had taken a fall shortly after he started the marathon, hit his head really hard, and then was trampled on. And as he entered the stadium and with incredible pain tried to make his way around to the finish line, people got up on their feet and they just started cheering louder than any cheers of the day. And as he finally passed through the finish line and the emergency workers gathered around him and started tending to his wounds, Everyone just kept clapping. 
The next day, they had a press report, and he was asked the question, why after you took such a bad fall, and you knew there was no hope for you to place in the race, why did you keep going? And John Stephen Aquari said this, he said, my nation did not send me over 11,000 kilometers to start the race. They sent me over 11,000 kilometers to finish the race. Wow. That is the heart of an Olympian. And when I think about these Olympians and what they're going through, the training, the regimen, I think they're superhuman. Except that they're not. They're not superhuman. They have weaknesses just like you, just like me. They have propensities just like you, just like me. They have, many of them have had to struggle through their life, and it's probably one of the very reasons why they're as strong as they are. But they're just like you and me. They're people. They're flesh and blood. And sometimes I look at the scriptures the same way as I look at the Olympians, And I see people like we discussed last week in Hebrews 11, people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Enoch and Abel and David, Daniel, Joseph. And I read these stories and I actually find that I'm not encouraged by them. Sometimes I'm actually discouraged because I think I could never be like that. There's something about these Bible characters that's just otherworldly, something that's supernatural, something that I just don't have. As a matter of fact, when they would paint these Bible characters in the first and second century, they would put halos, they would paint halos around their heads, signifying that there was something divine about them, something special about them. And yet, I would submit to you today that there wasn't. They were not superhuman. They did not have some special divine gift that they were born with. All of these people that we look at, all these characters that we look at, that we study, they were people just like you and just like me. They had failures just like you and just like me. They had weaknesses just like you and just like me. They were not super saints. They were just people. And we're going to talk today about a man named Stephen. And I'm going to read a scripture for you. It's in Acts chapter 6. Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. They weren't getting their food. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude, 
and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about Stephen. Stephen was chosen to be one of these men that served the widows. You've heard of Meals on Wheels. Well, Stephen was Meals on Heels. His job was to go around and make sure that all of the folks got their food. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't one of the 12. He was a servant. As a matter of fact, he was a deacon. And the word is from the Greek word diakonos, and it just means he was a servant. But he was a faithful servant. As a matter of fact, he was so faithful in distributing the food to the poor, and he was so full of the Holy Spirit that when he went around, apparently he would work miracles. He would pray for people and they would be healed. God was doing something in this servant's life that was beautiful. And he gave himself to it wholeheartedly. And apparently he also knew his Bible history. Because when the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, heard about what was happening with Stephen and all the miracles that were taking place, they became threatened. As a matter of fact, Caiaphas, who was probably the key instrument in Jesus' crucifixion, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the high priest, they gathered Stephen and they made false accusations against him. And then it says that they took him out of the city and they executed him. They stoned him to death. And while he was dying, it says that he cried out with a loud voice saying, O oh Lord, do not hold this charge against them. And then he died. Wow, I read that story and I think, I could never do that. I mean, I get mad when people gossip about me or someone cuts me off in front of traffic. Or when I misunderstood. And yet Stephen, Stephen, while they're literally throwing rocks at him, is able to say, Lord, oh Lord, please do not hold this charge against them. And I read this story about Stephen and I just think, are you kidding me? I mean, I could never. What would I do in that situation? And sometimes I read these stories and I, I just think, I'm so far away from where I want to be. And is Stephen some kind of super saint? Was he just born with an extra sense of the divine? Was he just born with an extra capacity of love that God gave him? I don't think so. I think that in Stephen's darkest moment, in his biggest trial, 
God showed up. That's what I think. You see, the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible says that, it's not talking about, you know, he had the Holy Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you can't even confess that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. But the Bible, when it talks about a man or a woman or someone being full of the Holy Spirit, it's always tied to a season or an action. And so it was with Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment where Stephen was experiencing unparalleled pain and heartache, God showed up in a powerful way. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this to you today. In your dark moment, in your trial, trying to fulfill your calling in your life, God will do the same for you. God wants to be with you. I want to make just three observations today about how God flips the script when we go through a trial, looking at the life of Stephen. Just three observations about how God can flip the script. Remember, flip the script. Everything changes when God shows up. And when you're in a trial, and maybe even today, you find yourself in a trial, in pain. Maybe you know someone in a trial or in pain. Let's look at the life of Stephen. Let's see what it says. Number one, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. This was the religious leaders. Stephen was giving them a history lesson of who Jesus was. He was telling them about Abraham and Moses, and he was going on down the list, and he was telling the, this religious group of haters that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He was speaking truth to them. He was sharing the gospel with them. And they didn't want to hear it. And it says that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. What a primal rage. Imagine this group of supposedly godly people. And Stephen is speaking the gospel. He's speaking the truth to them. And it says that they were filled with rage. They were full of rage, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. My first observation is this. Stephen received supernatural provision. In his trial, in his dark moment, in his time of great need, God showed up and gave him supernatural provision. Supernatural faith, supernatural strength, supernatural boldness, supernatural endurance, supernatural forgiveness, supernatural love. He gave it to him. He filled him with the Holy Spirit and he provided. God provided what he needed in that moment. Maybe today you find yourself struggling in a marriage or struggling in a relationship. God can give you supernatural provision for that relationship. Maybe you find yourself struggling with an addiction. 
Maybe you find yourself struggling with depression. Maybe you find yourself just struggling with life. God can give you supernatural provision. When it says he was full of the Holy Spirit, it meant that God was going to meet his need. And maybe in your season, like Stephen, it seems like the whole world is against you and you feel alone and maybe you feel like you've been abandoned. I am here to tell you today, you've not been abandoned. God promises to be there for you in your darkest hour. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I will hold your right hand, saying unto you, don't be afraid, I am with you. God promises to be with us in those moments where we need him the most. And I don't know what it is you're dealing with. I don't know the friend that you know of right now that's hurting and needs to hear this message. But I know this. If you turn to God, he will provide what you need in your dark hour. Let's read on. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He needed supernatural provision, but he also needed a supernatural perspective. You see, he needed to fix his gaze on Jesus. And that's point number two. He received supernatural perspective. He did not need to see his accusers. He did not need to see his executioners. He did not need to see the rocks that were being thrown at him. What he needed to see was he needed to see Jesus. And in order to receive a supernatural perspective, you need two things. Number one, the Bible says in Psalms 3.3 that God is the one that, he's the lifter of our head. You see, in those moments where it seems like the whole world is against you and it seems like you've bottomed out and it seems like there's no hope, there is hope. There is nothing too difficult for God. There is nothing too difficult for God. And in that moment, it says that God is the lifter of our head. And aren't you glad that he does that? Because it's so easy to not lift your head. But God is the lifter of our head. And we need him to supernaturally lift our head. But we need to also be surrendered enough that we can fix our gaze on Jesus. Yes, God can supernaturally lift our head, but it's our choice whether we focus on Jesus or not. You see, when he lifts our head and our focus is on Jesus, it moves off of the circumstances. It moves off of the people that are attacking us. It moves off of the hurt. It moves off of the failure, and it focuses itself where it needs to be. And the reality is, it's easy to focus down and around, down and around, down and around. And that's where the enemy wants our focus to be. He wants our focus to be down and around, right down here. But that's not where God wants it to be. God wants it to be up and beyond. Those are your two choices. Those are the only two choices you have. 
Either down and around or up and beyond. That's it. And Stephen fixed his gaze on Jesus. And it would have been so hard, so hard to have these people want to kill you. I mean, they, they literally had stones in their hand, gnashing their teeth, angry, yelling at him, throwing stones at him. Stephen did not need to see his adversaries. He needed to see home. It says he gazed into heaven, into the heavenly realm, and saw Jesus. Oh, man, it's so easy to look down and around, down and around, down and around. But our gaze has got to be on eternity. It's got to be on home. The Bible says in the end times that Satan will literally make warfare against heaven. He will try to help us erase the fact that we have a heavenly home from our minds. Because our focus has got to be on heaven. If it's down and around, down and around, we're not going to be thinking about up and beyond. We're not going to be thinking about heaven. That's why the number one mission of this church is to lead people to Jesus. Because this life is a vapor. It is here and then it is gone. And while we will have all of eternity to celebrate the victories, we have one fleeting moment to gain them. And that's right here, right now. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we can't be stuck down and around, down and around. We have to be above and beyond. We have to fix our gaze on Jesus. Oh, he needed to see home. And you know what? When he looked into the heavenly realm, it didn't see Jesus sitting. Oh, Jesus is mentioned in the Bible as sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. No, he wasn't sitting. He was standing. It says right here in Acts 7, he was standing. Why was Jesus standing when he's normally sitting? Ah, oh, he's welcoming his son home. He was getting ready to say, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done. And that's where his eyes were fixed on Jesus. I don't know what your eyes are fixed on today. I don't know if you're like me and you struggle with the <laughs> down and around. But I hope today is a reminder to fix your gaze on Jesus. Let God lift your head. There are moments, there were moments this year that were so hard that all I could do was put my face to the ground. And I just cried out for help. And here's what I found. God gave me supernatural provision and a supernatural perspective. And he lifted my head. And I was able to fix my eyes back on Jesus. And you know what? He can do the very same for you. Humble yourself 
under his mighty hand. And in due time, he will lift you up. That's a word for many of you today. But that's not all. There's another observation. It's my final one. As a matter of fact, if you have your communion elements, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take them out. Worship team, you guys can come back up. And you have to kind of carefully peel back the layers of your elements. But go ahead and, and just begin to do that if you would. And let's finish this off with this last scripture. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. And he fixed his gaze toward heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul as they hurled stone after stone at him. Stephen prayed, Our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. And then he crumpled to his knees. And he shouted with a loud voice, Our Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. My last observation is this. Stephen received supernatural power. He wasn't a super saint. He wasn't born with some greater propensity for divinity or love than you or I. It was just that in his dark moment, God met him there. And he filled him with the Holy Spirit. And he was given supernatural provision, a supernatural perspective, and finally, supernatural power. He says it. he crumbled to his knees. And yet I would submit to you that Stephen was never more powerful than in that moment when he was on his knees. Never more strong, never more mighty, never more spiritual than when he crumpled to his knees. It's ironic, in his weakest moment, when he'd probably been pelted with enough rocks that his brain was swelling against the skull, probably bruised, bloody, and broken. And he fell to his knees. But like his Savior, Jesus, see, Jesus said something very similar when he was in his weakest moment. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Stephen was simply doing what his Lord had done. See, he fixed his gaze on Jesus. You know, we're gonna take communion today 
this little wafer, the bread represents Jesus coming to live a, a sinless life as a frail human. He gave up everything. The unbroken fellowship of the Trinity, the glory of heaven, says he emptied himself and he became man. And that wafer, that little piece of unleavened bread symbolizes his willingness to do that. The grape juice, the crushed grapes, symbolized his sacrifice for us. That Jesus not only lived the sinless life, but the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There has to be a payment made. And we could not make that payment. So Jesus did it. He did it for us. And this is not something that the church started. It's not something that a denomination started. It's not something the church fathers started. It's something that Jesus himself started. And he says, whenever you do this, remember me. Whenever you do it, remember me. How many times had Stephen taken the Lord's Supper, fixed his gaze on Jesus and remembered him? How many times had he taken a piece of bread and the cup of crushed grapes and remembered Jesus' sacrifice? Apparently he did it enough so that in his weakest moment, when he could have so easily hated, had bitterness, he was able to forgive. And not only that, it says he cried out with a loud voice, our Lord, do not hold this charge against them. And then he died. So today, we have a choice as we take this communion together as a family. We can either choose to stay and look down and around, or we can fix our eyes on Jesus and look above and beyond. Our choice. But Jesus gave us this. He gave us this so that we'd remember his character, his unconditional love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And so that we would, by the power of God, appropriate it to our life. But maybe today you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You didn't know that there was a God that loved you so much he became man, lived a sinless life and paid the price for your sin so that you could live with him for all eternity. I've got good news for you today. It's so simple. You can accept his love for you today and it will change your life. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit and you will walk in complete newness of life. 
just want to invite us before we take communion together just to have you bow your heads. If there's anyone in this room, anyone watching online, anyone listening later down the road, and you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, today is your day. See, that's why Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. You see, in his weakest moment, he did his most powerful work. He died for you and me so that we could live with him for eternity. And this morning, I think some of you, maybe in this room, maybe listening online, maybe you know that this is your day. And if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your forgiver, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I receive your forgiveness today. I receive your love, your grace. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I want to spend the rest of my life walking in that love, serving you. So I receive you today as my Savior but also my Lord, the one that I will follow the rest of my life. In your name, Lord, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, oh, I'd love to know it. I'll be up here afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. You'll see a number during our final song that you can text the word believe to so that we can help you on your journey. And then lastly, family, I would just invite you to hold up the elements in your hand. You see, the Bible says that Stephen, as he walked into this dark moment, this season of his journey, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was given supernatural provision, supernatural perspective, and supernatural power. I want to invite you today, before you partake of these elements, as you meditate and think about Jesus and his love for you and the payment that he made for you and the life he lived for you, I want to invite you, before you partake of the elements, to just invite the Holy Spirit to enter your life fresh. How many of you need that today? Just hold up the elements if you need that today. You want a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Come on. He, is that you? I want it. So just take a moment as the worship team sings and you meditate on Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit to come afresh into your life today. Just take that moment. Spend it with the Lord.